This is your Planet News Briefing. I'm John Chu. And I'm Ralph Fortune. Our main story coming up is all about geoengineering. We look at what is it, companies and technologies in the space, and the risks it has. But first, your Planet News headlines. In politics this week, U.S. Democratic presidential candidate Mike Bloomberg commits to 100% clean energy country by 2050, slashing 50% of emissions within the next 10 years. He's calling for a phase-out of all carbon and health-threatening pollution in the electricity sector, and also ensuring 80% clean electricity by the end of his second term as president if he were to be elected. This electricity plan is just one of several forthcoming climate plans that he has. In business news this week, Simon Jack from BBC reports, Banks and insurers to face climate stress tests. Banks and insurers are posed to face climate stress tests similar to what they have for financial stress tests at the moment. Financial stress tests they face are things like capital on hand. However, now banks and insurers will have to look at their assets and see the effects of climate change on these assets. For example, this may be the increased probability of fire on mortgages, homes near uh, areas in Australia or California, for example. This also will have effect on properties in flood areas. In tech news this week, Daniel Allen from Business Insider reports that scientists have developed AI technology that are specifically using algae to combat climate change, and they're making it available for anyone to use. Algae is actually thriving thanks to rising temperatures in the waters. Like plants, algae absorb carbon dioxide in order to grow. So the idea is that the algae will actually draw out greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. Hypergiant, an AI company, has developed a bioreactor that uses algae to capture carbon dioxide. Afterwards, the algae is actually harvested and turned to animal feed or used as an ingredient in consumer products. And the idea is to bring a build-it-yourself type model to the masses so that everyone else can use it. In science news this week, Julia Rosen from the Los Angeles Times reports, Climate change fears propel scientists out of the lab and into the streets. Climate scientist Steve Gaughan has gone from creating climate models to climate advocacy. He spent 28 years at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. He states that, we, we naively thought that, okay, we've done our job, now the p- politicians will do theirs. However, that's not the case. Gunn now believes that it's important to speak out in conjunction with his research, and other scientists are starting to join him. Coming up, our main story, geoengineering. All right, so Ralph, uh, we've got a very, very interesting main topic for this week. It's very technical. We're going into the deep end. Yeah. Geoengineering. So two broad types of strategies, greenhouse gas removal, and there are different ways of how that can work. And there's, then there's solar radiation management. And then there are also ways in how that can work. And that's the one that I think is really out there. That's the one that involves literally outer space mm-hmm. and things of that sort. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just so our uh, listeners know, um, Ralph and I are both recording from different parts of the world this Christmas. Um, I'm here in the East Coast in the U.S. He's mountain time U.S. And we've just been traveling all around the world separately for our family. So hopefully the sound quality is just as good um, or just as bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, so just so everyone knows, this is going to be a very technical um, main feature, but we're so excited for this. We've done so much research. Um, so please hang with us um, and we'll hopefully enlighten you and learn together here. Definitely. Um, Ralph, so greenhouse gas removal, uh, that category of geoengineering is slightly more achievable and more realistic and more affordable in general compared to solar, solar radiation management, which it's, that's going to be wild. It's going to be mind blowing once we get to that point uh, in the next 20 minutes or so. But um, the first category of greenhouse gas removal is forestation. Um, mm -hmm. And forestation itself is broken down to two, two different types of doing that. One is uh, reforestation, which is a process of basically creating the forest again where it used to be. Uh, and then there's a process called afforestation, and hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, but that's the process of creating forests in places where the soil or the dirt is, is not really compatible uh, for foresting, but uh, the process would make it, so it mm -hmm. is. Um, so that's forestation. Um, what, are some of the things, have, what are some of the things to watch out for then, I guess, for this one? There's a natural way to do it, uh, the natural regeneration. There's commercial mm -hmm. plantations, which is, I think, the most attractive in terms of um, options for most people because this one, it yields some commercial benefits, whether you're using the byproducts for other um, business activities or you're, you're, you're actually making a profit from. Right. Um, and then there's like agroforestry, which I think is basically just for agriculture, land, um, you know, having some forest, foresting activities. Um, right. And I saw in, in, um, in the CBA Insights article, they said that a 2019 study in Nature found that 45% of all new forests promised by governments um, are for fast-growing, high-profitable plants like eucalyptus and acacia plants, apparently. And that, yeah, eucalyptus, the, that's... the commercial part is interesting, right? Because so that then it also goes down into describing that for eucalyptus, it's mainly used for paper pulp, and medical purposes um, but there's a bit of controversy around it because it also you know creates aggressive water consumption um, so it can affect the local water tables yeah yeah there's there's a concept called monoculture where um, a lot of mm -hmm. forestation activities really doesn't bring about a lot of biodiversity in terms of planting it's really just like a whole feel of these eucalyptus mm -hmm. plants for example which which I think is also called gum tree um, or gum plants. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really common. You see it all around most parts of America uh, and all parts of around the world. And it's using so many things like perfume, lotion, and um, medicine, and like over-the-counter medicine. So it's, it's a very common product. But um, monoculture is basically the concept of forestation where a whole field or fields is the same type of plant. And that that does provide some value, but uh, really a, a, a more diverse setting, a more natural, biodiverse uh, setting of plants um, really does it so much better. I don't have the exact metrics, but um, there's yeah. there's a lot more effectiveness. Yeah, another one of the um, complaints from, from people is that this would incentivize basically governments to remove um, non-monocultural forests or forests that essentially were already there and replace them with these monoculture forests, right? So maybe there might be some effects for um, bringing in CO2, but then also, you know, you're doing a lot of, of other harms in terms of 
producing for us. Yeah. What, um, what companies are really active in this space right now? Um, I didn't see a ton of company specific. It was more just, it was more government um, activity actually. Um, and so there was a, there was a statement around like India was doing a big push for this, but they were doing mainly, they were doing mainly commercial. Uh, and then this has also contributed to that, essentially that red uh, initiative that we were talking about for the COP25, the REDD, yeah. um, uh, because that's the initiative, initiative around forestation specifically for carbon offsetting. I see. Okay. That's, um, that's the easy one. Um, mm-hmm. What is biochar? Yeah, so biochar is kind of odd. I've never really heard of it until looking into this further. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> but it, uh, apparently it's low risk and creates soil fertilization. So what biochar is, uh, it takes organic waste. So uh, like fallen plant matter or something or old or like a corn stalk, stuff like this. Uh, yeah. And it turns it into charcoal-like substance by burning it in a container with very low uh, oxygen levels. It's called. It's a process called uh, pyrolysis. Yeah. Uh, and so basically, when plants decay, the carbon that they absorbed and stored is released into the atmosphere. But this process of pyrolysis reduces the amount of gas emitted from these plants that are decaying and it stores it in this this carbon uh, stuff called biochar. So essentially what, what you could do then is then use this biochar as fertilizer. Um, and then, so a professor from Cornell University uh, has shown that biochar made from sustainably obtained biomass, which I'm not necessarily sure what that means, but <laughs> uh, obviously in a form that uh, it's probably like um, recycled corn stock, things like that in agriculture. But yeah. essentially they, they found that it could offset 12% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So it sounds like it could be doing a bit of, of good work here. Yeah. Um, but there are some, there's always, there, but with the promises, obviously comes different warnings, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, this is one in which um, the biochar market is expected to really expand uh, in the next five years or so. It's going to expand by about 5 billion. It's a, it's a 2.4 billion industry now. And maybe it'll be about a 3.1 billion by some estimates by 2025. There's one company that's really cool. It's actually called Cool Planet. Um, <laughs> yeah, and what they do is they create gasoline from organic materials. So, like you said, trees, falling grass, plants, corn cobs, for example. Um, and then biochar is produced in the process as the waste. Um, and then that uh, so so Cool Planet's biochar, for example, it it increases uh, soil's water retention, and then. Um, diminished fertilizer runoff. Uh, this is a company that's raised a, a nice, healthy Series A, 9.3 million in 2017. Um, 19, 19.3. 19.3, yes. <laughs> um, so this is a, this yeah, is interesting. To watch. Yeah. Yeah. And so then some of the difficulties are pretty interesting to point out. I mean, essentially the kind of glaring is the price difference, right? So price of compost is around 30 to 50 dollars per ton while the price of uh, average biochar is about 2580 dollars wow. per ton so i mean this is probably a, a reduced price in terms of compost whereas other fertilizers might be more expensive but i don't think that they get up to that 
you know, $2,500 per ton mark where biochar is at. So hopefully these prices can come down. And obviously with having those companies like uh, Cool Planet in the race, maybe they'll be able to yeah. reduce the cost. I, I think that's going to be a key thing for all of these different types of geoengineering strategies. It's the cost balance. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of these are completely new ideas. And some of them are not new, but they're not scaled yet. So they're still quite expensive. Um, so that's going to be an underlying mm-hmm. thing that um, will be a challenge for all of these. But uh, Okay, so the next section, let's talk about uh, carbon capture and sequestration. So, uh, John, what are some of the, the carbon capture? So, so there's two types of carbon capture. Um, or it could take several different forms, but uh, the, the two main ones are point source. So this is a process in which uh, CO2, for example, is, is capture at a bottleneck, so to speak, uh, for example, at fossil fuel plants. Uh, and then there are ones that are more direct air capture that pulls it directly from the air. Uh, so things like automobiles, for example, um, will be the latter. Whereas if you know, uh, fossil fuel plant activities that you can capture them directly from a pipe, that's more of a, let's call it a point source. Uh, but this type of sequestration, there's, oh, sorry, this type of ca- capture, um, there are pros and cons of this as well. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see what we have here. Um, there's a company here, uh, it's interesting to read about um, Climate Works. I think that's where yeah. it's pronounced. Uh, they actually plan to sell the capture CO2 gas directly for use in products like carbonated drinks. Yep, carbonated drinks, and then also um, in in greenhouses for agriculture greenhouses, they can put it into the greenhouse to increase yields. Um, and I actually talked about this company in a previous podcast. Um, and the problem, the difficulty with with selling the CO two was that it's just more expensive, right? It's another one of these things where it, you can capture CO two in other forms, typically in in uh, you know in pulling up oil. Um, and it becomes much cheaper. One study showed that, you know, carbon capture caused energy output at the plant to drop by 25% almost. Mm. So if that was the case, then essentially they would have to be, uh, you know, producing more of these plants essentially to make up for that drop, right? Yeah, I see. Um... So interesting ones, but maybe, you know, a more positive effect would just be for these efficiencies to increase, right? It's just like all, all the other ones. Yep, indeed. What about your thoughts on enhanced weathering? This one was a bit tricky for me to understand. Yeah, um, me too. It's, it's kind of an odd one. Uh, but the basics of it, it seemed was that there's these material um, or basically minerals that can yeah. be added to the ground or water that in, in its natural form at the moment actually happens where they are kind of broken up and they actually uh, capture carbon, these minerals. Yeah. Um, they're usually broken off from uh, kind of like rain wash, I guess. Um, yeah. And then they capture carbon. But the enhancement of this would be by making making finding these minerals that are capturing carbon and actually spreading them into yeah into agriculture or spreading them into the waters um and there's pros and cons obviously pros being that it's a pretty natural event that's already happening 
um, cons being that to speed it up, um, it would be extremely costly. Um, so there was an estimate showing that like, if we were to basically mine all these materials and have the cost of spreading them all out across uh, both agriculture and water uh, to get to, you know, to bring in the, all of the carbon by using the, these materials, it would cost close to $600 trillion. Wow. That uh, is... And it's, a, it's a big number. And, uh, but it's obviously that would be if, if this is the only method used. Um, and then there's also the, 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 the con that to, to, you know, to get these materials, we would have to do a lot of mining, which obviously uh, increases greenhouse gas emissions as well. Yeah, so that that balance between the mining and then the the positive impacts that will come from it, that's it's not so accurate, is it, to understand what the you know if it's mm-hmm. going to be a net positive or something else. Um, the the point you made uh, about uh, it, it's um, just the fact that enhanced weathering, um, the environmental risks are really a bit unknown right now. It's it's not really understood. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the proposed methods. Uh, involve using silicates like basalt, uh, for example, and the process, the, the the effects of dispersing that type of stuff onto um, ocean, land, and, and freshwater, for example. It's just not there's not a lot of information around that yet. So this one is high risk, high reward. How about um, solar radiation management? Yeah, let's get so, into this. So this is the this is yeah moving from the first section to the second now. Yeah. This one is, so I mentioned this is the much more aggressive one. Um, so unlike uh, greenhouse gas removal strategies, solar radiation management, it really, um, this is the one where uh, it's uh, more aggressive and uh, it can have a much more immediate and impactful um, result, right? Because this one requires something that's really radical and some of the things that kind of fall into this is uh, like for example, just one call, a beetle enhancement. Um, and this might be the, the cheapest uh, and safest one of all of the um, sort of radiation management uh, strategies. Mm-hmm. But albedo is a, is a measure of how much light is reflected off the surface. So the more reflective a surface, the higher is, is albedo. So you can think about uh, a building roof, for example, if it's a dark roof or a brick roof, um, it would absorb more of that heat uh, contributing to greenhouse gases. Whereas if it's more reflective, like a white surface or something, um, that one, it, you know, the sunlight would be reflected off and kind of bounce back into space. Um, so albedo is, um, is a process in which you can uh, change the surface of certain, you know, parts in your urban environment. Yeah, and in the urban example, like you mentioned, um, there was a study showing that in Athens, uh, just doing this, just painting concrete, like painting roofs and and streets, both white, uh, could reduce the average temperature in the city between, uh, you know, six to five to seven point five degrees Celsius, which is quite a lot, actually. Oh wow. Uh, and it's this albedo um, strategy is not just for the urban environments. Um, it works mm-hmm. in agriculture and even water body as well. Um, mm-hmm. So the one with the water, the water bodies is really interesting. Yeah, so definitely. This one is the process in which 
uh, bodies of water are altered by sprinkling, but basically sprinkling uh, uh, sort of chemical agents um, across the water surface, kind of like the way, you know, the wake that happens when, when you're on a boat and you're going across the water. Um, and the surface, as a result of these, uh, these chemicals, basically, they create a more reflective uh, surface so that the water uh, underneath that surface, it remains cool. So the sunlight then reflects off of that agent. Um, so therefore it maintains the, the marine ecosystem, reduces water evaporation, um, water evaporation. So it, it basically, um, you know, it, it basically. Yeah, that one's interesting. It's in uh, the term I think would be the micro bubbles, which is kind of fascinating to think about. Yeah. Um, and then the other one, the other one is the brighter clouds, right? Yeah. So that one's really interesting. And it seems, I don't know, it seems to me a little, maybe all, all of these have kind of the pros and cons. The First of all, with the micro bubbles, you're putting a chemical, maybe a chemical or something into the water. And who knows whether maybe what those effects would be. I'm sure they can test it. But then the brighter clouds scenario is interesting where that, I've seen, I've seen some um, pr- propositions for this where it's essentially like small boats that are solar, solar power, powered and they suck up the water and 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 create a, an evaporation mist that creates more clouds above um, bodies of water and then yeah those clouds then reflect sunlight back off into the atmosphere that is so, so definitely a fascinating process that is wild <laughs> yeah yeah and so the, the effects of that you know could be increased rainfall or something like that right if you're doing it at such a high scale there's got to be some sort of effects yeah yeah i think that this process um albedo enhancement and uh, at least in terms of the urban one it's quite easy to do um you know it's mm-hmm. it's cooling off roof rooftops and the roof market where buildings and houses have roofs painted and retrofitted um that's something that is really doable uh, right now um as opposed to the water version of it where you're sprinkling this chemical. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Um, okay. How about uh, stratospheric aerosols? Oh, this is where it gets a little bit <laughs> like black mirror almost. <laughs> yeah. And this is, uh, you know, we've, we've heard, we've heard a little bit about these uh, in the past though, because this is a thing that I think people will talk about when they think about the chemtrail phenomenon. What's that? You haven't heard this? No. Okay, so yeah, I mean, there's a there's a deep rabbit hole if you want to look into that. But essentially, if you look into um, chemtrails, I don't really know too much about it, but there's people that are pretty intense about how planes are creating those white trails behind mm, them. Yeah, and they either have chemicals in them for multiple factors, but a lot of them talk about it being, yeah, reflectance uh-huh. uh, for for this for what this is, and then and this is this is essentially, yeah, a look into into that that possibility of using them. Oh, I see. Okay, wow. So this one is obviously very controversial. Um, basically, spraying chemicals in the atmosphere to block the sun's rays, and thereby reversing warming. Um, yeah. While controversial, I do want to point out before we dive in. Uh, it was first kind of understood because of 
volcanic eruptions. Very natural. And how that, how those, yeah, how very natural, but in how those affected, yeah, I the see. heating of the planet. So what is happening in this space? So um, this one is on the expensive side, right? It's I would think it's got to be um, one estimate puts the upfront monetary cost at around two billion per year um, for the first 14, 15 years. And um, the cost, actually, no, it says here the cost of technology is quite low, isn't it? Um, the main obstacle is to implementation is, is not finding a company or a government willing to undertake the expense, but finding consensus that it is safe. So that's one mm -hmm. I think the general public might feel a little bit, you know, worry about. Yeah, exactly. I think this one has so much scrutiny around it right now that any attempt to kind of test it out uh, yeah there's going to be a bit of backlash yeah um what about space reflectors this is this is the <laughs> one that is probably the most out there from all of these that we have <laughs> yeah so yeah you dive into this more because um i didn't get too much into this yeah. one which but it sounds really fascinating <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's not a whole lot of information out there about this one first of all mm -hmm. but it's it's basically um involves excessive mirrors that are sent into Earth's orbit. So it's literally out of space that can physically reflect or dampen the sun's rays. So this is something that um, it's it's like coming from a sci-fi um, uh, movie here, uh, but it's, it's quoted as a, a solar shield. So it's made <laughs> of a variety of substances, including sulfur, um, and it will have to be kind of sent into space and then, you know, um, it had to be assisted by satellites to prevent the reflectors from crashing into each other or, or crashing back into Earth. So it basically, the, the idea is that it would, um, it would, it has to, it would have the physical ability of the sun's rays. It would uh, mitigate the sun's rays from actually hitting the Earth. So um, this one, you can easily just understand that there could be a huge, you know, uh, backside to this where if something goes wrong and, maybe we don't get enough sun into the earth. And there's a whole other issue of, of the, yeah. you know, some of the permanent darkness. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, also it's, it's really fascinating to think about it in the sense that you're seeing these satellite networks go up into, into space right now. Yeah. Like um, SpaceX is doing this. And I know, I think blue orbit, Jeff Bezos company wants to do it as well to create a network for uh, basically internet connectivity. But yeah, they, they have to be able to do that type of internet connectivity network. You have to have multiple satellites up at one time. So it could be a really interesting yeah. kind of combination where they also equip them with some of these mirrors to 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 create some reduction. And then some of the numbers here are, are fascinating. I mean, one study showed that deflecting 1% of the sun's rays uh, would significantly halt global warming. Uh, I mean, now this is apparently this has been argued to maybe two to four percent, but I don't know. I don't know what that means essentially in terms of how many mirrors you need up there. But it sounds a little, little more uh, doable than some of these other approaches, right? Yeah, it is one that's very expensive as well. Um, there's currently no private companies that are known that would have enough cash on hand to, to foot the bill. Uh, it might be mm. one in which private investors and governments come together in a really significant way to start to test this out. 
Um, and and that's a problem yeah. with some of these governments. Um, you know, they're they're not willing to put money into something that's not been trial or just a bit, you know, inconclusiveness to it, uh, uncertainty. Um, that that kind of yeah. rounds up the the different types of uh, greenhouse gas removal geoengineering processes, along with solar radiation management geoengineering processes. Um, and there's so much to be there's so much more to be said, kind of around the 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 dots here but um that's so much stuff ralph that's it's just so much stuff that i learned from about geoengineering just from these few things and uh, you can go into rabbit holes anywhere here yeah no i think it's uh, really encouraging and it's exciting to see that these possibilities are out there um so yeah good space to watch should we get into traffic lights sure what do you got um so my my uh, my green is that uh, I like the fact that uh, that these ideas are thrown out there. I think that we need to have this type of innovative thinking um, and come up with any idea that whether it sounds silly upfront or it's is really practical immediately. I think all these things uh, need to be welcome and encouraged. And some of these ideas, like the the space reflectors, um, that's pretty far out there, but. You know what, there's actually a fair amount of uh, research and scientists that have already looked into this. And it's something that is uh, actively being uh, researched to the point where uh, this is really surprising, actually. Um, uh, they um, have, this is under Donald Trump, actually. Um, let me just pull up this uh, MIT Tech Review recently an article um, just yesterday, actually. The US government has approved funds for geoengineering research so National Oceanic um, uh, uh, and Atmosphere Administration are going to get about 1.4 trillion. Nice. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Four four uh, million set aside to conduct research around uh, stratospheric monitoring oh, and research. Just four million. Yeah, it's just four million. Uh-huh. It's 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 a it's a 1.4 trillion spending bill that Congress passed this week. Yeah. With a l- little bit of a provision that says four million aside for the National Oceanic Atmosphere Administration mm. to for specifically for stratospheric monitoring. So th- that's not a whole lot, but that's encouraging. Yeah, but at least um, it's specific as well, right? Yes, it is. So it's, it's, a, it's a research fund. Cool. But, you know, this is something that Trump is expected to sign. So yeah, uh, that's good. Uh, my yellow is um, the fact that when people think, you know, there's, there's got to be a technology out there that will kind of fix this climate crisis issue. Uh, these are the types of things that people would say, oh, yeah, you know, this is definitely going to happen. Um, so let's just sit back and just continue to be wasteful and consume and, you know, not try to offset or do what we can mm, and just yeah. wait for this thing to work out. Yeah. So that's, that's to me, is a yellow. Um, and red is, um, I think I started to talk about this uh, just a few moments ago, is a lot of these governments, um, they're a little bit reluctant to get involved in a really significant way because it's a bit unproven. So it's almost like the chicken and egg situation where uh, they will only invest in it if there's a prototype out there and the people are that or private investors that would make the prototypes, they just can't afford it and they kind of need the funding from the government. Mm-hmm. So that to me just seems like a very inefficient loop. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. What do you have? Cool. Um, for me, 
red would be uh, essentially the commercial aspect of this where, yeah, that's kind of yours as well, isn't it? It's, it's really hard to make sure these are commercially viable unless you have a lot of upfront investment to get the efficiencies there, you know, where they, where they need to be. Um, I mean, this is, this is though a place where venture always does well, right? They put in large amounts of capital into new ideas in the hopes that, you know, these companies can capture a large part of the market in the future where it become, once it becomes commercially viable. So definitely interesting to follow there though. Yellow yeah. for me is the, um, the forestation stuff. I may have talked about this in the past as well. I think this is an interesting one, but I'm a little wary on it around the, just in terms of the, maybe the more of the commercial use of it rather than just preserving forests. Uh, it seems like that is not super helpful. And then also the idea that governments can, if they're preserving forests, you know, the next administration kind of come in and just tear it all down. So those are, yeah, those are concerning to me. We've definitely seen that happen, haven't we? Yeah. In other areas. Yeah. Yeah. So those are concerning. Uh, and then green is, is around the space innovation, actually. I mean, that's just super credit. Uh, creative thinking uh really fascinating and i'd like to see more you know go into to thinking in that in those terms and i think incentives um if governments can provide more incentives in terms of offsetting and and in that sense these it will actually provide some funding for these these companies that wanted to increase space innovation so it could be a really positive uh, loop in terms of the the commercial loop you were discussing and that is this week's Your Planet News Briefing. I'm Ralph Forgen. I'm John Chu. Thanks for listening.